Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. Hello listeners and welcome once again to Story Shaped Podcast, the podcast where we take a stroll through a guest's reading and writing life all the way back to their earliest encounters with story to get a sense of the stories that have shaped them into the people and creators they are today. I began this introduction with a few words of Irish because today we're welcoming a very distinguished guest, indeed, Alan Titley, Emeritus Professor of Modern Irish at University College Cork, who has also had a long career as an author and dramatist. Alan's career as a teacher began in Nigeria, where he lectured in education and history at Mount Carmel College of Education in the late 1960s. Later, he became head of the Irish department at St. Patrick's Teacher Training College in Drumcondra in Dublin, before moving on to take up his role as Professor of Modern Irish in University College Cork, from from which he has since retired. He has written widely in English and in Irish, and his plays have been performed on the BBC and RTE, the Irish national broadcaster. His novel for young people, Amach, published by Irish publisher On Goom in 2004, won the Eilish Dillon Award, a very prestigious award for children's writers in Ireland. And he has won several other notable awards for his literary work, including the, the Patter Prize for International Drama and the Stuart Parker Award for Drama from the BBC. Alan was elected to the Royal Irish Academy in 2012 and continues through his journalistic work for the Irish Times to be an important cultural voice in Irish life. His most recent book, published just this year by Little Island, is The Thawne, his modernisation of the ancient Irish battle epic Thawne Bocúnia, which tells the story of Queen Maeve of Connacht, her husband Alil, and the war which is sparked when Maeve wants to get her hands on a better bull than the one owned by her husband. It's a fantastic translation slash edition slash, slash reimagining of the old tale, one which is by turns funny and gruesome, action-packed and emotional. It's brought to life, too, by the brilliant illustrations by Owen Coveney, and it's a book that should appeal to any fans of superheroes or Marvel aficionados, as it packs as much of a punch as any movie. So without any further ado, let's welcome Alan to the podcast and wander through his story-shaped life. So, Fáilte Roth, Alan. Fáilte. It's great to have you here today, um, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about your your. Uh, your story-shaped life. We've had a little chat before we started recording and you're already a born Shanaki. We can see, <laughs> see you have the storytelling gene. Uh, so we know this is going to be a great a great conversation. Um, but we like to begin um, our episodes by asking our guests, um, are you story-shaped? So, until of Alan Sidley, are you story-shaped? I think so. I, I I grew up in a time, this sounds like um, old-timers yapping away at the moment, but um, <laughs> a time when we didn't have television, there was radio, uh, all we had was books. So um, every time 
I was when I was growing up, if I had aunts in England and America and they wanted to give me a present, it was always a book. Uh, and so we kind of spent our time reading books. And to be fair, both my mother and father were readers and it was quite a lot of books in the house. So in that sense, yes, I was I was aware of books along the way. And I suppose as I was yeah, as I was getting older, I discovered that maybe the only thing I was really interested in was literature rather than and things like history and related subject, because the sciences kind of passed me by and mm -hmm. lots of other things passed me by as well but I found that yeah I, I could understand stories meant something to me and of course as well as that we, we had stories in, in school I do remember in very first class in primary school we had a teacher who and I don't think this was on the curriculum sit down in the corner of the room and my mem memory of him was that he would smoke a pipe now <laughs> this probably would not be permitted today probably and he would not. sit there and he, he would be uh, chewing on his pipe and telling us a story he, t he told us you know the, the great stories like 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 um um Gulliver's Travels um uh some Sinbad the sailor and we be and sometimes they went on he would wait from one week to the other in fact one of the stories he told us was the old I, I, I later I learned it was the story in Irish Shana which is the story of the guy who sells his soul to the devil oh, the Faust cool. story which is an old international folk tale but it's done in an Irish context and um he told it so brilliantly and it was going from week to week that it scared, if I may use a bad word, it scared me, scared the shite out of me. <laughs> uh, and so badly that my mother, uh, who never would complain or argue or cause any hassle whatsoever, actually went up to the school because I couldn't sleep at night because oh. I was imagining that oh the devil, God. the man on Fardov, the, 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 this dark man with the horns in his head was around every corner. So it meant that the story actually gripped me and scared me right from the start. And that was, I, I suppose, um, a great introduction to storytelling that if it could have that mm. effect, then, um, you know, that, that that's what it would be. And I, I do recall as well, uh, strangely enough, I suppose, things that is not done today. Um, in Again, in primary school, because of the kind of, uh, education we had it was obviously a very Catholic education we had we had the catechism and I can still mm -hmm. quote whole chunks of the catechism mm -hmm. you know and um, I had not seen or ear heard and I had into the heart of man what things God have prayed from who will love him you know mm -hmm. sinners uh, sacrament is sensible outward signs due to my Christ signal grace and conference so I can quote all this but <laughs> that wasn't the, the interesting bit at all it was that there was also way to read bits of the Bible, uh, the, the New Testament. And of course, there were great stories in the New Testament. I mean, it, it, there's some great stories in it. And they stayed with me, and they still stay with me in all kinds of ways. I mean, you, you might have doubts about all kinds of stuff. You may critically examine it, but there's still great stories. So, yeah, it, it, it was always there. And I, and I do recall as well that um, I think probably the very first book that I, I can kind of recall in a way was, um, was Don Quixote. Uh, wow. a, a children's a children's version Don Quixote, not the six hundred page. Uh, book <laughs> we'd, be very, we'd be very, we'd be very impressed, very impressed, exactly. Yeah. Uh, because I remember, I remember the, the illustrations along the way. Wow. But I do recall, I think my parents and my brother and sister, I had one brother and one sister, and they were out. I think they were at mass, and I was ill or sick and uh, indisposed anyway. And I stayed at home and I read Don Quixote, this children's version from cover to cover. And I said, "Wow, this is a fantastic story," because of the characters, because of the, the knight and his rather silly uh, Sancho Panza, um, 
who actually knew a lot more about life than Don Quixote did. And then there were the, the windmills and the donkeys and the, the, the and the, the fight with the sheep and so on. And it was, again, it was a great, and of course, Don Quixote itself is an example of a story, one of the earliest, if not the first novel, whatever we mean by a novel. And it was... Um, um, it was translated into many languages straight away and people pirated it and within a couple of years and were sending out new versions on Kyoto. So obviously the story itself was such such a powerful story that people were robbing it and stealing it and Cervantes himself had to go and write a sequel to it which is the second part of Don Quixote. But I knew nothing about that at the time. I simply knew the story of Don Quixote. Wow, you were shaped by some pretty epic stuff. Absolutely. Well, I, I would say that the, the uh, you know, on the other hand, let's not get too uppity about this. Uh, <laughs> I love comics. You know, comics were great. We got the fantastic. Bino and the dandy oh, yeah. every 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 um every Friday. I remember to a Friday it came out on a Friday and uh, the topper. And not saying oh, I don't yeah. remember, but I, I remember the topper certainly. And my sister got some other girl girly magazines as well and i remember in in the in the topper they were actually written stories whereas the Bino the dandy were just comics and they were they were they were great but um, the other ones had kind of written stories i remember one called um i think it was somebody rodden tucker the tough of the track and he was <laughs> um a working class hero who ate chips and was a lazy bugger along the way and he was always running against this tough who was um so it was the tough of the track, and he was running against the tough of the track, who was a guy in a, a public school, as they called him in Britain. And of mm. course, he would always win the races along the way. And it was Roy the Rovers of football stories, mm -hmm. and Roy the Rovers always scored in the last minute, or you know, when the two goals <laughs> down, he'd score three, but like Christy Ring in hurling, and I don't. <laughs> so it was real life. So yeah, yeah, we loved those. And then there were the um, the, the, the Rupert the Bear was another oh, one. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and I, I presume. I I take it there must be something in Rupert the Bear at this stage which is politically incorrect and it probably has been censored censored oh. along the way. But but I I haven't gone back to Rupert the Bear. But they were great stories and I also remember again another time I think I was I was um and uh, thankfully I've had good health all my life so far says he so I um but I do remember being being um hit down with I think it was scarlet fever at one stage when I was in. Uh, first class second class I was fairly young mm -hmm. and um I had to miss five or six weeks out of school and again I did a lot of reading I remember one of the books I read was again Black Beauty oh, and, oh, um, first book yeah. that made me cry yes <laughs> and I, what I remember what I remember about Black Beauty now is um not so much the story but the fact that it was a story with a beginning a middle and an end in other mm -hmm. words I could see the shape of the story in oh, other yeah. words oh, I, I knew yeah what was what was going on so it wasn't just that one thing happened and nothing happened nothing happened it was something happened and was linked to what happened at the end right. and i said that's a perfectly shaped story so they're the things that i kind of remember from that and then you kind of move on into secondary school god help us uh, which is a different thing entirely <laughs> they're trying to beat all the stuff out of you and get you to learn about real life you know uh, whereas what you really want to do is read jack kerouac and read dh Lawrence, <laughs> you know, all, the other, all, the other, all the other stories under the desk that you're not supposed to be reading but of course some of us did and that was, that was a great thing about it oh because we had another author on um on the podcast recently jasbinder billen and she said when she was in primary school at the end of the day the teacher would read them all a story at the end of the day and then when she went to secondary school she, the first day of secondary school she was waiting and waiting and waiting for the she's like now it's going to be the time when the teacher tells us a story and then there was no, no story yeah. um so yeah, she was 
that that yeah. shift between kind of story shaped primary education and then secondary education yeah. is such a stark one, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and, and also I think we've all seen this. You go into um, a bookshop, a good bookshop anywhere, Cork, Dublin, um, Galway, wherever, and there's lots of great bookshops around the country. They're mm -hmm. not they're not gone yet, you know. Along Thank and, God. Yeah, and, yeah. You, 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 and you see. Um, uh, on a Saturday morning in particular, my memory is, and you'll go in and you'll see parents with younger children and they're buying them books, which is fantastic. And they're getting the books and they're reading books and so on. And I often rather cynically ask myself, this is great and wonderful and fantastic. But how many books do the parents read themselves? Because mm -hmm. unless the parents and you get these ridiculous, um, ridiculous surveys that are done by educationalists and being an education myself, I'm fully, fully aware of the nonsense that goes on. But you get these surveys that say, you know, people are better readers if there's books in the house. If the parents read, then there's a good chance that the children will read. Well, tell me something new, you know, this is, this is what it is. You know? <laughs> you know? But yeah. but I, I do find it kind of disturbing in a way that we want children to read, but a lot of parents don't read themselves. And um, I, I think that's a kind of a kind of hypocrisy. I don't like to use the word hypocrisy, but at least there's a divide between um, what parents want their children to do and what they do themselves. In other words, mm -hmm. there's a kind of belief that, yeah, stories are good for you when you're young. But when you get that bit older, you should yeah. put all that childish stuff behind stuff you. Behind you, yeah, which is terrible, a terrible and, tragedy, and, isn't it? A terrible yeah. tragedy along the way. Yeah. And and yet, you know, we keep on reading, book sales are going up, people are still reading books. And, you know, the best films are always... Um, not always, but very often based on books based anyway. On books, so, yeah. you know, and the, the best films are ones that are written by writers. Scripts are done by dramatists along the way, mm -hmm. rather than just nonsense with computerized imagery and so on along the way. So I think that's a fairly basic thing about about stories, that they're, they're, they're the centre to uh, anything we do. And of course, I, I mentioned, this sounds like I'm a kind of religious person, which, which I'm not in at all, but, in, but I'm interested in it, fasc fascinated by it in some ways. But you notice, um, you know, because I mentioned the New Testament, what, what Jesus did was he went around and told stories. That's, exactly. he did. that's true actually, yeah. Yeah. No, he also yeah. worked he also worked miracles which that's is, true uh, too which yes. also it also helps but but, <laughs> but, uh, but telling the stories was a vital thing and that's what yeah. held that's what held the whole thing together and um you know history is a story and you know if we try to think back any any element of history what we ask is what happened mm. and it's what happened that makes the difference it's not the the economic mismanagement or the, the the number of people who died or the the the, the corn laws or the, the naval laws. It's what actually happened. That's mm -hmm. the way we deal with the world. And that's what seems to me to be um fairly central to what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um I'm struck by what you said about Black Beauty that you could see as you read it that it was a perfectly shaped story. And I love that because I always think, all right, when I'm talking to kids, even you know, if I get a chance to do school visits and stuff that whenever you read a story or take in a story from any like in through any medium you know that it teaches you something about the way stories are constructed even if you're not aware you know and that's one of the one of the values or one of the good things about reading is that you know every time you read a book <laughs> you're learning how a story is, is put together and when you want to go and create your own stories then you have this kind of framework um, um to build on um do you think that's true or would you would you find you know that you've are the books or would, would reading or being a reader sort of have helped you to want to become a writer as well 
do you think? I suppose it did. Again, if, if I may harp back to the ancient um, prehistoric days when we didn't have television. <laughs> do. Do. I do remember. In, um, uh, I remember on wet days, um, myself and my brother in particular, we would sit down and we would write our own stories. And oh, I, I think they're probably up I in the attic it. somewhere. Oh, and I love uh, it. it was. They were usually um cartoons, so we'd have drawings as well, like a bit like a bit like the Rupert the Bear, a comic one. And um he was much better at drawing than I was. He was very actually very good. My drawings were pretty appalling, really. They were kind of <laughs> ab abstract impressionism when they didn't have a name, you know, <laughs> was, uh, along the way. But I, I would I would um but but the stories and I simply enjoyed writing stories. And I know they're probably up in the attic in this house somewhere in the, uh, because my good wife found them at some stage and put them away in a safe place, which means they're probably last uh, long, but, Clever wife, but yeah. I, but I do have to, but I, I, I do have them and uh, so we used to do that. And I do recall as well, and maybe it's just a, a quirky thing. Um, again, when I was in primary school, um, we used to write these. Now, I should say this is a big school in Turner's Cross in Cork City. And there were 77 children in a classroom. Now, when I said this to oh people, they God. were horrified. Uh, I can't imagine that. The yeah. reason was because a whole new housing estate um, of Ballyfiehan had been built up suddenly and they hadn't put the schools in. So oh. the school was still in Turner's Cross. So suddenly the numbers exploded and we had to be packed in. So I have no idea how the teachers managed to teach us anything. And of course, you know, there was no there was no sense of ADHD or none of the dyslexia. You know, if somebody couldn't read, they were thick, you know. There was mm. no, no sense of, of working out what was wrong with people. It's very so sad, teacher, yeah had a way of uh, teaching you essays and they would write on the back blackboard they would talk about an essay like God help us an essay like picking blackberries which was a, a common one I hated picking picking blackberries but <laughs> you'd be, he'd put up um, words on the board and then he would leave a gap and you had to fill in the gap and you put the mm -hmm. word the, the words um, that were meant to be filled in it was like a crossword puzzle you'd fit them into the thing yeah. and because I was lucky enough to be able to read and I I don't ever remember learning how to read. I learned to read oh, yeah. before I went to school. I think it was sitting, my father and my mother would be reading the Evening Echo or the Cork Examiner, what it was, and I just picked out the words. So I don't, I never had a problem with reading. But mm -hmm. I do remember that these stories were always boring like you know there was boring <laughs> you know, we went out early in the morning we put on our clothes and then we went we got in the car or on our bicycles went to the field and we picked blackberries and filled up the bins and went home and fell asleep and, and, but the teacher teachers always gave us a chance to do something ourselves so I remember I would say things like we were picking blackberries and um, uh, a, a non-identified flying object landed in the field. Then I had to go into the hole and then you're off in another world. And it was just, you know, why would you write this other stuff? So I think that kind of quirkiness, if that's what it is, a kind of a, a going against the grain. And I was, mm. if, this was, if this was what was going on, then there were other ways of telling that story as well. Absolutely. And um, and I think that was probably in me. I, I don't know where that came mm. from, but mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was kind of there along the way. So maybe did that shape me? I, I, it did. Um, and I, I noticed the same thing in films. I remember seeing a film, uh, God Help Us Again, and it was the same epiphany, revelation with um, Black Beauty, a film called Winchester 73. It was to do with a rifle, and a rifle was the story, and it passed from hand to hand to hand. It was a cowboy film along the way, and I saw it years later, and I said, God, that's a rubbish film. But at the time, <laughs> I remember seeing... 
it showed again, you know, there was a, there was a whole movement in Surrey from the beginning right to the end. And the same people ended up at the, again, having the gun at the end as had at the beginning. So there was a, ah, there was a kind of sense to the whole thing. Nice uh, along circular the way. structure. Yeah. Circular structure. Mm. And it kind of, I suppose that kind of stayed with me without looking for it, which I suppose, which it was. But there's also, I mean, what would happen if you wrote a detective story, for example, that didn't have a solution? You'd feel mm. cheated. Mm, so you're right. And of course, lots of detective stories, in reality, murders are not solved. That's but true. you would feel utterly, you know, cheated if you read a detective story and said, come to the last page. Who did it? We don't know who did it. That's terrible, yeah. So, um, so a story kind of allows us to make that, um, that that sense of shape, sense of which doesn't necessarily reflect life because life mm -hmm. is messy. Mm -hmm. But I think what it does is helps us to kind of organize life or structure life. I hate that word structure, but it helps us to organize life in, in a sense that um that we need to do in in a way. And of course. Mm -hmm. There are novel novels and stories that subvert that as well, but that's a separate that's a separate issue, you know. Yeah, wonder does it give us a sense of control, maybe over yeah. the world? You know, when you yeah. you have a book yeah. that's perfectly yeah. structured, you know, you feel as though yeah, yeah, you, you can kind of yeah. get your head around that, you know, and and, and life is completely and you can't get your head around life yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, and, and there are stories where where the ending is not the important thing; it's something that happens in the middle, and yeah. of course the kind of the, the classic short story. Um, uh, which is meant to kind of show what Joyce called an epiphany, kind of a, a revelation. You kind mm. of suddenly you realize something, you know, uh, he didn't love her anymore. She didn't love him anymore or or, or whatever it would be, I, I, mm. you know, and, and Frank O'Connor was great at that sort of that sort of story. You're, you're reading him and you would find, yeah, that's that's what he that's what he's on about. Um, and uh, and I think you get that notion of of um, just somebody realizing this is the way life is, you know, that there's, there's a great story by um, Liam O'Flaherty, um, which he calls The Touch, and I've read it in Irish and English, Tang of Oil. And it's about a, um, a group of people on an island, probably with the Arden Islands where he's from, and they are collecting seaweed on the shore, as you did, and collected seaweed in order to, um, put it on the ground and fertilise the ground. I had to learn this. Being a city person, I know nothing about seaweed, but I know that <laughs> seaweed has been used. I had to learn this stuff. And um, the, the, the men are working away and suddenly this girl, young girl, comes riding her horse along the strand and she's bringing them tea and mugs of tea and some sandwiches or whatever it is. And uh, one of the men of the group who are collecting the, the, the seaweed fancies her and she fancies him. Basically, they're, they're in love. And but the father of the girl who was the boss of the seaweed collectors doesn't like him because he's poor. He, he has he has no land and he has one acre or two acres and they have nothing. So he doesn't want his daughter anything to do with the girl. And so they they they're throwing the seaweed onto the onto the baskets to take it away. And their two hands kind of meet kind of electricity. Do, 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 you know, <laughs> suddenly do, do. And the father, the father sees this. And he says, I'm going to stop. So he goes down with his pike and he threatens the young man. And he says, if you go near my daughter again, I'll stick this pike into you. And of course, that's the point of the story. What is he going to do? And the young man funks it. He says, OK, and he backs off because the girl is disappointed. And and then the man goes, the father goes and he makes a match with her for somebody else, somebody who has more land. And the point of the story is that's that's where their lives turn. 
He just mm. had one mm. moment. If he had faced the father down, things would have been different. He didn't, but it means that she is, and she says something like, I've been sold just like just like piglets or just like bonnets or something like that, which of yeah. course what happened. So yeah. th that kind of classic short story where something happens and you extrapolate what else happens in their lives because of that one event. So it's not just the end of the story, yeah. it could be the middle of the story mm -hmm. as well. So it's so an explosion within the middle of it. So that's, I think that, so that's kind of, I would use that as a an example of, like a classic short story, but there's lots of other short stories that could be done just for, for fun, you know. As yeah, they do. that sounds like an amazing story. I haven't read it, but I mean, no, that, I mean, that, I, I, it really illustrates your yeah. point really well that the yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the conclusion of the story that was the it was the vital bit was was in the middle. The touch itself was what was. Yeah, the, and, the, and there's the another one by by, by by Frank Frank O'Connor called The Majesty of the Law, um, the of the which Law. is about. A man, and I, I used to use this story with American students or with European students as an example of kind of Irish culture and Irish silent culture, especially Irish male culture, where, mm -hmm. and it's to do with a policeman, a guard, presumably, calls with his bike, when they had bikes, to a house <laughs> in some country area, probably in West Cork along the way. We presume it's West Cork. And uh, the man invites him in. And he offers him a cup of tea and they talk about the weather and talk about crops. They talk about football and hurling. They talk about everything, but they don't talk about what he came for. <laughs> and the, the, the guard has come in order to arrest him for a row that he had with a neighbor along the way. And so the guard finishes, the, they finish the cup of tea, they finish the chat about everything under the sun and he's leaving the house with his bicycle and he turns back and he says to the man, he says, do you know, Tim, I I, I suppose you won't be coming along with me. Meaning, mm. you won't, you, are you coming? And you have to Tim come, says, yeah. He says, you know I won't. And he says, ah, sure, I thought that so, but he said, give me a few minutes and I'll get ready. And what it is, this guy has had a row with one of his neighbours and he says he would rather go to jail um, than than have the satisfaction of paying the fine. Now, I never understood that mentality myself, but he, he, the man says, and the whole neighbourhood will know that man, that man was responsible for putting me in jail. So it kind of shows the kind of narrow-mindedness, mm -hmm. the kind of the close, closedness, closeness of a community but it also shows the fact that um in ireland and particularly among amongst men we never say what we're what we mean we talk about something else and people often say about men you know they don't expose their feelings they do but it's in a code in other words if if if, if a woman says to a man um we better talk the man is out the door like lightning, you know. <laughs> you know no, go away, like God, sorry. Where in this case, oh, you know, the men know exactly what they're on about, but they don't say it. And that mm -hmm. kind of I was like that with my father. We would talk about all kinds of things, but he never said he loved me, but I knew yeah. he did. Yeah. And he did it in all kinds of ways. And mm -hmm. you know, it was it was very, he'd have been embarrassed if he say to say mm -hmm. that. And I'd have been embarrassed. We'd no doubt we'd put our arms and we'd talk about everything under the sun. So we had a great relationship. So Frank O'Connor was a master of that kind of stuff, I think. Yeah, my granddad would he showed his love by he would he wouldn't he'd never say it, but he'd take your car silently. He'd just take your car and drive it off. And then when you were leaving, your car would be full of petrol and whatever was wrong with it would be fixed. Mm -hmm. Oh, that that's seems, so funny. Yeah, that scene yeah. in on Kylie Kewin, if you've seen on Kylie Kewin, where that. um and again it's to do with this girl who was 
sent out for the summer because her parents can't look after and just kind of rough, a rough mm-hmm. um the the relations of her and she's kind of the man seems to be a rough silent type but there's one stage and he simply takes a biscuit and he pushes it across the table to her oh yeah and then he goes out the door and that shows bang he had said nothing to her but just he gave her a biscuit and that that did it all so the act of love instead of the words the act of love yeah and and then they get on they get on great together along the way so I, i i suppose stories can do all kinds of things you know whereas you can get the kind of declamatory story where the thing you have like folk tales there's, there's no subtlety in folk tales. You just go whang back and bang in the middle. Of it. Once yeah. upon a time, hey, there you are, and that's great. It's a great, great adventure stories are wonderful, mm-hmm. um, but there are other ones then that I said they're subtle along along the way, and and uh, you know that's that's why that that's the great thing that there is teaching literature to to students. I used to say to them, and I had to say this again and again and again and again and again, the great thing about literature and about stories in particular, it's also true of poetry, is that you can say anything you like once you kind of back it up by showing you've read it, you know. Um, And it's the one place in learning that you're actually free to say what you like, to do what you like. If you're doing engineering, you better know how to build a bridge. You know, yeah. if you're doing dentistry, you better know where <laughs> your teeth are in your mouth. You know, you, you, know, you <laughs> yeah. it's kind of important along the open heart surgery. You better know what you're doing. But in literature, you can say anything you like once once you can once once you can back it up. And again, I used to say often to students when we were doing a course, and um, I'd say to them, the only thing I want you to do is to read the stories. That's all. Nothing That's else. All. Just read the book. I I won't give you any um. You know, notes, there's no such thing because I, I used to use notes. I'd simply talk about the story. I didn't mm-hmm. believe in giving notes. But they all, the students always wanted something firm. They wanted to say, please tell me what you think and then we'll write it down. I said, no, it's not like no, that at all. It's about what you think. And, yeah. yeah. What you, and I remember giving um a course. I, I, did, I used to do funny things um with my courses. I give a course on um on uh, Donegal writer shows of Macriana. And um, he, I, I, I gave the question to them at the beginning of the course saying, is he, Shosem Agirian, is he a modernist writer? And there's a big debate over that. And we would give a course of 10 or 12 lectures. And I said, no, it's up to you to answer it. But they'd come to you at the end of the course and they would say, what's the answer? And I said, there isn't an answer. I don't have an answer myself. It's it's maybe yes, maybe no. Write about it. And it used to confuse them. And I think that was one of the reasons. And the other one, I, I, I thought this was kind of funny. Um, I used to do a course in folklore. And um, I would say to them, uh, especially the first lecture, and I used to do it occasionally, I'd say, I would get them to get rid of all pens, papers, all, nothing on the desk. They had to sit there with a blank table, a blank desk in front of them, and arm, arms folded, or arms out, didn't matter. And they weren't allowed to write anything down. Because folklore was simply folklore. It was it not only was it spoken spoken word, but when people told stories in the past, not only did they not have reading or writing, they didn't know that there was reading and writing there. Reading and writing was something that didn't exist. So, and they would sit there and they didn't know what to do because they needed to write something down. So, no, you have to listen. So to oh, say, to say, to along the way. I wish I'd, I, so, been, I wish I'd been in that class. I was just thinking the same thing. I wish I'd been taught by you. That's an amazing yeah. 
I enjoyed it. I mean, I, another trick was I remember, and I, I, I knew little enough about children's literature at the time, and there was asked to write about which I wrote that book you mentioned a mach which won the Eilish Dillon award and I was asked to write um, a, a book for children I, I told stories to my own children I'd make them up but you forget them you know you kind of forget you'd make them up they would remind you what they were but you'd make them up as you go along mm -hmm. but but I, I I remember having being, being kind of cajoled into doing a course um, on children's literature because the guy who was doing it was was ill or had was retired uh, we were asked to do it I remember reading about it and um the first lecture I gave, I said, no, I said, there are 10 um, principles or 10 guides to writing children, writing children's literature. Now we go through them. Has to be simple, has to have an easy vocabulary, must be a familiar place, um, you know, blah, blah, and give a list of them. And they'd write, and of course, when you say to students, there are 10 points, they'll write down the 10 points, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. And then they were finished, they'd say to them, now what you do is you take that piece of paper, you tear it up and you I throw it away. I love it. None of them are true. Absolutely. And they would, they would go mad. They would go <laughs> mad. So, so sometimes it is true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there it's are not. things to do with it. It's not. But 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 it, it it's the idea that there are there are easy answers to these. There are not. You know. There are no easy. Like are, are, there are there, there, there's a simple road that you, if you follow. If you follow this formula, then you have it. I, I I remember hearing it when when I wrote a few plays originally. This American guy says to me says. Um, uh, you know, he says uh, there's a formula for writing successful plays, and he gave me this kind of what looked like an algebraic formula for writing. I said, Sorry, I don't want this. So you you write it's a story, but on the stage, that's it. You know, so I know. Anyway, so enjoy it. That's that's the point. I love that. I'm so glad you said you're, you'd get your students to tear up that page because I was going to go, but no, I don't agree with you. <laughs> um, but can I yeah. ask you one question? Um, you're yeah. fantastically accomplished, obviously, in the Irish language, um, and you've made a career, uh, not only in academia but also in your in your own writing. But um, did you grow up in a multilingual or a bilingual household, or where did your love for Gaelic come oh, from? No, I, I it was entirely based in school, really. I, apart from the fact that I did learn uh, looking up the um. Uh, the the census for 1911 uh, mm. I did discover and this was like in Cork Harbour as I said uh, Carrigaline you know uh, this area and I learned that my grandfather who filled it in uh, said that they spoke Irish now I don't remember oh. my grandfather he was dead and so my grandmother whom I remember reasonably well uh, she had died when I was maybe 10 or 12 must have been Irish as well um, uh, and I, I thought no this is this is kind of because of the cultural revival but I looked up the other people in the area and anybody over 40 years of age said they had Irish. So it, oh, was, yeah. it was actually true. But that, yeah. wasn't, that it wasn't that so far as that um, when I went to school, uh, you were taught all that. But we were, I, I suppose we're fortunate having good Irish teachers. But I do recall um, at one stage, um, I'd have been in I mean, I good Irish, obviously, because uh, we all had at school. Like it was it was good school uh, in Cork. And um, I remember I was sitting down, um, looking, uh, doing, and I, I'd, I'd say, been second year or maybe, yeah, probably second year in 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 secondary school. And my brother was two years ahead of me, and um, I was sitting struggling away with some problem, and I looked up. I got his poetry book for Irish for the Leaving Cert. And I started reading through it, and these were not on my course or in his course. I remember saying, "This is great." This is fantastic stuff, you know, and um, 
And it was a bit like that was again, it was a boom. I said, and then I remember being involved in, in debates in, in English and in Irish in school. And I discovered I didn't have enough language to say the things I wanted to say in Irish. Mm -hmm. So I went out of my way to kind of learn enough to be able to say the kinds of, so it kind of, and then I suppose the big thing was, you know, we, we learned, I said, Frank O'Connor was great. But in school then, or even at home, there was people like Thackeray and Jane Austen, Jesus Christ, you know, and 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 they meant nothing to me. They meant nothing to me. Whereas um, Irish poetry did and, and Parik O'Connor did. And it just kind of happened like that. And I find that it related me to the country in a way that nothing else did, that I kind of understand Irish history, Irish culture, and Irish song in in a way that I wouldn't if I didn't know it, and that's kind of that's kind of where I'm where I'm coming from, and um, so I kind of see everything through a prism of yeah, that's me, that yeah, I remember that story, yeah, and of course you had you had great storytellers. We're talking about storytellers in Irish. There was a guy in um, down in West Kerry in what is now near Cahirsaivin, um, and in the 1930s, uh, with the Irish Folklore Commission, Seamus Delargy, collected stories from him, Lior Chani Honel, Sean O'Connell's book, 400 pages, 400 pages plus of text. Um, and this guy spoke, to, didn't understand English, was never outside his area, never went to school, and he could, he remembered at least 400 pages of stories. Now, I say to people today, how many jokes do you remember? You know, you know, how many stories could you tell along Absolutely. the way? And this guy, mm -hmm. his head was full. Of, and the Irish Folklore Commission, they were brilliant in sense they, they collected stories. There was a guy in County Clare when Irish was kind of dying in Clare and he, he went, um, this guy was collecting and he was trying to get examples of native Irish from County Clare. And somebody said to him, well, there's a guy up the hill there and he, he's, he's a very good speaker. Go up and visit him. You went up. This guy was a storyteller. Again, he collected three, four hundred pages of stories. We stories that took a whole week to tell you know and like imagine somebody telling starting in a monday and going on to friday like the size of a novel to tell a story so that's in us it's there it's 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 um along the no they're they're, they're folk tales so but they're they're tales that kind of tell of uh, but they also deal with, with um with real things that they deal with love and romance and horror and danger and um, extremities and anger. So all human life is in these folk tales as well, if you examine them properly. And that's the, you know, that that's the way along the way. And there's, there's, um, and some of them are fascinating, you know, and they kind of explain, I remember there's, there's a Donegal folk tale, which I used to use again to illustrate a different point about um a young girl who was out um, minding her sheep, presumably her cattle, as, as young girls would do, and a frog comes hopping by, bub, 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 a big fat frog, <laughs> and she kind of says as a as a joke, kind of, God, I I'd love to be there when you're giving birth, you know, doesn't seem to make much sense, but anyway, anyway, say, yeah. <laughs> that that night she's at home in her house, and a man arrives on a white horse. And he says um, to her parents, I want to borrow your daughter for the night. Now, this is kind of a bit strange, you know, this, this is very innocent times when you say, I want to borrow your daughter for the night and I'll bring her back safe and sound. So the parents being very nice people, they said, yeah, and they put her, he got on the horse, white horse always, and he went away and he came to what was a fairy mound in a hill. And uh -huh. he went in and inside in the mound, and of 
course, the thing about the fairies in Ireland is that they weren't little ethereal creatures with yep. pan They were actually like like us. They looked yep. like us. Yep. They, they didn't yep. make any difference. So she went into the, they went into this place and there was a woman giving birth to a child in a bed. And when she gave birth to the child, they took the child out and they burnt it. <gasps> Mm-hmm. And then all the people, they would, they, 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 as they were passing by, they stuck their hand, their finger into the ashes and they rubbed it on their eyes like this. And the girl saw this, I'll do that too. And she dubbed it and she, she rubbed it on just on one eye and the man whipped her off and she went back home. And then about, about a month later, she was at a fair nearby as people went to the fair. And as the storyteller says, she saw many people at the fair that other people didn't see at all. See. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. And and what she, and uh, she saw the man who had brought her on the horse, and the man said to her, "How do you see? How do you see me?" She said, "I see you with this eye." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, well, you'll see me no more." And he stuck his hand into her into her into her eye, and he plucked out her eye oh, because God. she had got she had got second sight, mm-hmm. and she was able to see all the fairy people. But it was a story that illustrated that the other world in Irish and Irish folklore was all around us. It wasn't mm-hmm. up in the sky, it wasn't yeah. underground, it was just here. Mm-hmm. It was another yeah. dimension yeah. right next yeah. to it. So it's amazing. So story, story did all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things like that. And uh, yeah, that, that was that was another amazing one as well. So so what do we do with that? You know, they're, they're all fantastic. so people people lived by this. That's all they had. They had nothing else. Nothing did you have else. storytellers in your family? No, well, interestingly, I did ask my father, um, was there anybody in the family? Where did, because all of my, my brother's an academic as well, so that's fair enough. But all of my cousins, they're all business. They all make money, right? They're, 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 <laughs> or, or something. They work in, they do. And, um, and I said, was there anybody? And he said, your, your mother had an uncle. That's my, my mother. And an uncle, in other words, my grandmother's brother, um, who lived, and I, I saw him, he lived in a field, um, kind of near enough, well, near enough to where my grandmother lived, on his own, he was a bachelor, and um, they said that he was a storyteller. And um, I never met him because he was spoken of with a certain amount of fear, or uh, you don't go near him. Or there's something strange about him. And I discovered later by a collector of folklore in Cork, that they did collect tales from our our oh. local local lore rather than tales so much so um he would tell like what was happening in the area so he did so there, he is there and um so in in that sense it, it you know there may be something like that but apart from that there wasn't apart from that no. there wasn't you know? I, I i think you see you know genetically we have our, our mixes are so so vast if you were able to go back Several generations, you would find everybody. I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't dare do a family tree because I would discover all kinds of strange monsters, <laughs> and, and, and we all would, you know, allow that. That's that's how that's that happened. So, so yeah, there there was somebody, but I did, for example, I did, and I just get one of the books I had in, in Irish. That's a book in English, Parabolas, which is a, a book of oh, short yeah. stories and fables. And so that's Lagan Press. Parabolas, like, fables by Lagan Alan Titley. Yeah, that's Lagan Press uh, published that. Lagan Press, unfortunately, are not there anymore. But they're um, it's a kind of a shortage book. But I didn't write a book in, in Irish. Now Nora Neon Lewin, Nora Hanlon was my mother. I just called oh. it after my mother, and there are a hundred stories in that book. A hundred stories, and now most of them are short. That was the idea. And when I was writing it, um, the stories just kept on coming. 
just, just you know, I should think of a thing like great story. And I do recall, remember, when I was studying um, for a degree in college and folklore was one of the parts of it. And um, you know the way you read a book and you forget everything apart from one thing. And I was reading a book which was on our course uh, called, was it um, Medieval and Gaelic Romances or something like that, by Scottish authors it was. And he was talking about a storyteller in former Yugoslavia, probably a Serb. And this guy said, he said, if you give me four words, I can make up a story about it. And I said to myself, and that's the only thing I remember from the book. Isn't that marvellous? He would say, give me four words and I will make up a story. And it often dawned, uh, said to me, you know, that's what a storyteller is. You, 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 you invent along the way and you invent and you shape it according to your, your needs. And again, I remember um, Somerset Maugham, the, the English writer, saying at one stage, um, do, you, do you know the, the old thing about Oscar Wilde joke that he laboured all morning? putting in a comment all afternoon, taking out. I mean, we know that that's <laughs> rubbish, you know? Uh, or, um, you know, Truman Capote saying, if you put a semicolon in the wrong place, it'll ruin the story. That's rubbish. Um, Somerset Mom said, you can, if you're a writer, you can write a story for a magazine that's 3,000 words. You can write the same story in 10,000 words for a book. And in one, there won't be a word to many, and the other, there won't be a word to few. <laughs> too few. So, and yeah. I think... That's what you mean. If you're writing a play for radio, you have 27 minutes. Sorry, that's it. You, you, you can't put it on the stage, you know. Um, if you're writing it for the stage, you've got uh, less than two hours. That's you, you can't, you know, you can't have the Red Sea opening. You can't do Moses. You, you, know, it does, you can't have 500 characters. You're limited in, in the audience. You're limited in the material. But within that, you're free to do what you like. And I think that's the great thing about it. That's wonderful. Um, also, I w want to know, um, as you were talking and you're talking about folklore and um, like what folklore gives you and that kind of growing up with that kind of atmosphere of all of those stories. And because your most recent book is on time, when did you when did you first encounter the stories of Irish mythology? When did that start to shape you? We were all told a certain amount in school, I suppose, yeah. maybe the, more of them. I mean, stories of Fionn McCool and so on. They were doing there and they were in the songs as well. And um, I, I, I was never hugely smitten by them. I mean, there were there were some great stories and some some better than others. Um, but it, the time I I I learned about the time basically when I was doing. God had me old Irish in, in, in college as well. And, uh, you know, Irish from the 7th or 8th century and you kind of were, well, in this case, the 10th or 11th century. And um, so we had had the text and you were working your way through it and so on. And then, um, but I was asked by Little Island Books to do it. And I kind of said, do I really want to do this? So I put it off for a while because I was doing other things. And then because I kind of, I didn't say no, they got back to me again. And I said, ah. <laughs> Feck it, I'll, I'll have a go at it anyway. So, I, again, I, li I like a challenge. And if you're asked to do something, yeah, you, you do it. You know, it, that in itself, being asked to do something, it's like it's like um, like your patron asking you to do something. I, I kind of like <laughs> Yes, that I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, was, I was asked to do, um, to write a play at the time of the 1916 celebration, 2000, 2016. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to write a play as it had to do with 
the rising and culture like Irish and Conan O'Gaig and music and so on. And it was a play for young people. So I kind of said, da, 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 da. OK, so I wrote the play. And I was it went on in the Abbey just for one day on the Abbey. So, but that was a challenge. You know, I'd never I'd never mm. done, never written a play for young people before. So mm. I'll, I'll do that. So grand. So I hadn't done, I hadn't adapted from the story. So I said, grand, I'll do this. So what I did was I I took... Uh, they, 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 I read the old Irish story. I read Thomas Kinsella, Kieran Carson. Mm -hmm. There are several modern Irish versions. There, yeah. Lady Gregory. So I kind of read them all, kind of took down some notes, da 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 da, and kind of internalized them. And then I wrote it myself. That's yourself, kind of what. Yeah. That's kind of what I did. And and I was kind of conscious of, um, the time is a long. It was Frank O'Connor again who called it a long rambling story about two bulls, you know, uh, <laughs> and it is, and it is a long rambling story. So you have to cut out a lot of the dross and cut out a lot of the rubbish in it, which, mm. which, which I had to do because there's people being killed and killed and killed and killed and killed, you know, and you yeah. don't want to know all about that. So I have to say what. So I kind of say what's the skeleton of the story? What's this happens? This happens? This happens? Put this together, and then a sense of well, what were these people like? Okay, Cuchulain is a kind of a godlike hero, but he's not God. He can be killed. You know, mm. um, um, Maeve and Alil, well, they're having a spat in bed, you know, the two are lying <laughs> down in bed and they're they're arguing over who's the better, who has the yeah. who has the greater bull. I mean, it's nowadays to be a car or a television or a house or whatever okay. it would be. Yeah. And of course, in, in in old Irish society, the woman didn't surrender her goods and her chattels when she married she kept them so the, the marriage was you you kept your stuff and so it was a communal thing so that's why they were able to argue they're all interesting things in old irish laws which are not ones in others um you could you could uh, a woman could divorce a man if he was too fat there's one for you oh no and <laughs> um, a man a man could could strike a woman provided he didn't leave a blemish there were all kinds of funny things going on but and but also if you if you um injured somebody you had to look after them you know like, may, until they got better so, uh, uh, there was some very good there were some bad things as well along the way but um anyway so there was there was a real background there and uh, uh you know the two of them having a spat and then um Going off to to Ulster and um, Cuchulain and the King and the hurling and the whole lot. So it, it's it's a great it's a great story. But mm. also interesting interesting about it is that and there's a kind of a debate in most of about scholars like it was it, it is it um is it an anti war story because. Mm. You know, all these people are slaughtered. It's vicious, and there's I a lot know, of nobody gold. really and wins, and it's, and it's for no reason. Yeah, yeah. It's like, for no reason. the bulls destroy it's themselves it's, too, don't they? The, the bulls destroy. Nobody wins. Nobody yeah. wins. It's all. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. And and they also there's also realization, uh, which is is very revealing, that this is going to happen again. You know, mm, because yeah. and it does. There was peace in Ulster for ten years or something. And then, and the way that wars are over. And people say, God, that was awful. But not next generation start getting them and say, hey, let's have a go at this stuff again, you know? And that's the scary. So it, it, it's a deeper story than we think in, in some ways. And um, so, I mean, I, I put in a kind of reflection at the end. It's not the original, but Cuchulain kind of saying, well, what was it all about? Mm -hmm. And kind of realizing it was about nothing. It was about two bulls. But, but the fact that that's the way he is and he's a warrior and he's going to be called on to fight again because... That's what soldiers do. So it's kind of a it's it's a it's a much deeper story than than you'd imagine in some ways. So yeah, it, it's 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 interesting. It, it's 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 good, you know. And 
because you've kind of answered this question already maybe but because I was going to ask what did you learn or discover about that story by reading all of those versions and revisiting it and reshaping it yourself was there anything that like really struck you about I learned the kind of the longevity mad. of the story they were all why do we like why are we drawn to that story why do we keep telling that story no, that, that's, as they say before they answer the questions, politicians say, that's a very good question. While, <laughs> while, I, do, while I delve deeply for an answer along the way, I, I, I actually don't know. But I think part of it is the notion of a hero. And, mm. you know, as you said, yeah. with the Superman heroes and Batman and so on. And that's 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 a big one. Um, the fact that there is a human dimension with, with Alan and Maeve and that kind of jealousy. Yeah. Um, the fact that... Uh, um, uh, let me think of a third reason quickly. Um, <laughs> there, 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 there's friendship, there's loyalty, there's mm. himself and Ferdia and their pals yeah. growing up and they know one another along the way. And then there would be a lot of kind of, uh, the one of the reasons it would have lasted was because there were obviously political echoes as well between Connacht and what we call Ulster, which was really County Lowes and County Armagh and County, County Down, that, sort of, yeah. that part that part of Ulster along the way. And they, yeah. they would they would have come along the way. So um uh, and it's a, also of course because it was a particularly long tale, it's much longer than any of the other Irish tales we have. So a bit like the Odyssey or the Iliad, the yeah. very fact that it was long and was seen to be important, mm -hmm. and a long tale will seem to be important, like war and peace, no matter how boring many parts of it is, <laughs> it would seem to be more important than, you know, than... than Pocoon or something like that. Like, yeah, sort of yeah, short, yeah. short book. So, so in that sense, it it has epic proportions, and I think that was that was part of it as well. Interestingly, um, we didn't have too many versions of it in folklore. It seems mm. to have been a written story. There's a big debate over this. Um, now there are stories about Cúchulainn. There are stories that are related to the Toyn, but the Toyn itself, I'm not aware that we have it a folk version of it, certainly not a long folk version, it might be bits of it, but I'm not aware that we do. I could be wrong in this, but I'm not I'm not aware that we do. Whereas we had a lot more stories about Sean McCool and his is a different branch of storytelling oh, along the way. But but that's it. So what did we learn? I, I think they would they would have been some of the reasons why we um uh, why it survived. Whereas a lot of the Sean McCool stories would have survived because they have a certain amount of humour. There are there are kind of fools and there are eejits and there's um <laughs> and there's comeuppance. There's comeuppance and there's um there's sadness and there's men and women and there's infidelity and there's war and there's travel and so you know and they're great. They're great. People like an adventure story. You know, mm -hmm. I still like a good old war film if it's not. Just bang bang, and you know, it's about people. It has yeah. people at the heart of it, exactly. Not, not yeah. just bang bang, like not not just. Uh, yeah. So you know they can still because they tell you about people in extremity, not people yeah. when things yeah. are nice and cozy, and that's and a lot of fiction has to do with people. You know, at the edge, and what what do you do if there's mm -hmm. tanks coming down your street? What do you do if there's bombs falling? What do you do if you're about to be murdered in the morning? You know, if it was you, that's yeah. where, mm -hmm. yeah, that there mm -hmm. you come to extremity, and I think because it's dealing with those, um very serious things I think that's what makes it a, an important story as well and of course being an agriculture country I think the two bulls helped as well you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I think I think you're like I think you're dead right about the the kind of is this a story about the pointlessness of war and the destructive nature of war and the fact that even though it's so pointless and nobody wins nobody achieves anything that's and true. 
it's so tragic but it just keeps on happening like the that, inevitability that, of it is yeah. the tragic part as well yeah. Yeah. And when I was yeah. when I was a kid first coming across the stories of Cahill and you know I used to think the, the, the thing with, with him and Ferdia you know the, the fact that they were there were brother, foster brothers or whatever they were you know boy and brothers, friends yeah. Yeah. that they had and they had to fight each other to the death essentially it just used to break my heart and that's, and that's exactly so what you're saying though isn't it it's not about the war it's about this like the 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 emotional resonance of it is because we are focused on these two men who mm-hmm. have this deep friendship and deep love for each other but they are still yeah. forced to fight and that's what makes it so poignant and tragic um and i, I just love that i love your 100 right in what you're saying there yeah but anyway if anybody is listening to this and they haven't yet read alan's uh, alan and owen coveney's uh version of the ton published by little island um it really truly is excellent and i i loved it and i, I love what i what i really loved i think most about it is how funny it is you know the the scenes between mave and alil in the bed there at start they're hilarious and uh, you know the argument they get into about who who has more, and it's really funny and very realistic in some ways. Like the dialogue is very, you know, you can really hear it as you, as you read it. Um, but also I think it's really it would really appeal to uh, any reader who enjoys kind of graphic novels or comics because Owen's illustrations are so graphic novelly; they're fantastic. Um, and also I love your descriptions too of you know well love might be the wrong word because it's kind of gruesome but you know you're talking about you know so and so was fighting that stream and then somebody came up with a sword and slit him from you know his skull to his crotch type of thing and off you know all his guts spelled out and everything and then you, and that was the end of him you know and you don't like I mean it's gruesome and it's gross but it's really funny as well because it's not it's not given it's not given that kind of poignant I suppose <laughs> emotional weight it's just this fella got murdered and it was part of the battle and you know but it and then it moves on to the next thing but it's I think though I thought those bits were the best bits for me and it's bringing um, together like those yeah. early childhood influences you've got the comics the comics you've got those exactly, epic yeah. stories that you were listening yeah. to yeah. it's like a perfect yeah. combination like of those perfect Sorry, match. no you're fine that's yeah. exactly what I was going to say as well it's exactly like it, it brings you right back to your earliest influences Alan you know uh, that you were talking about earlier on but we're coming up close to the hour now of recording. So this is really when we start trying to wrap things up. But this has been a fantastic uh, chat with you about it's been so wide ranging and so interesting. And I could listen to you all day because you are definitely a born Shanachi. Um, but uh, if there was one thing I could ask you is to sort of finish up. Um, uh, I suppose there's two questions I could ask you. Maybe I'll try try both. of them. Um, but we, we often ask our guests, um, how, how do you hope that your, your stories will shape your readers? I mean, do you, do you have do you ever have any hope? Or any thought to that when you're writing something or creating something, you know, do you do you do you want to put forward a message with it, or do you, you know, how would you hope uh, your work will influence the people who who read it or who take it in? I think um, one of the things I've tried to do, uh, looking back on stuff that I've written, is I try to write different books all the time. Ah, I've never written the mm-hmm. same book twice, but like. Thomas Keneally, somebody said. So so I've written, for example, novels in Irish. One has to do with cannibalism. One has to do with <laughs> a fictitious country in, in Africa. I've written that book, as Edward showed, of 100 stories. Uh, I've written um, a play, which is a sequel to Waiting for Godot. I've written a play about <laughs> 1916 for children. I've written a and novel. And you do like a about, challenge. <laughs> I, I've written a, a, no, a verse novel about uh, a woman who's hanged in Boston as a witch, an Irish woman who only spoke Irish at her trial. Oh, I've I heard written, about her actually. Yeah, and I didn't. Uh, not Goody, your book, Goody but Glover, that, that yeah. case is so I, sad. I've yeah, written yeah. A, a novel about a 13th century Irish poet who lived in Scotland who committed a murder. Uh, I've written a thriller <laughs> from this a kind of a detective black story, and so I, I've done. Um, and I hopefully have a book of short stories later this year uh, with Chloe Hunnacht, um, and there's different kinds of stories in, in that as well. A 
lot of stories about hurling, for example, and I, oh, I just yeah. up and direct, right? I hadn't written anything like that before. Yeah. So um, I, 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 so I've never tried to do the same. In other words, partly, as we know, writing is a challenge for yourself. Could I do this? Why not yeah. have a go? At it? And of course, I've, mm-hmm. I've translated stuff as well. Martina Kind's Clinic Killer translation to English. That was mm-hmm. a challenge as well. So I kind of, um, yeah, it's a challenge. So I'd like to kind of, just keep on trying something different and see what, what works out and what can you do yourself. And in that, you hope it's going to be, it's going to have an effect on people. And the best way of having an effect on people in a way is one of the ones is when you give public reading of some of your stories, you get a reaction and you know, is this work or not? And of course, with a play, it is also fantastic because you're there if you're there in the audience and the audience is there such as it might be, could be big, could be small. And you wonder, mm-hmm. do they get it? Will they laugh at your first line? If they don't, you say, oh, there's a bad oh, night no. coming Tough up here. Audience. They don't, yeah. they don't yeah. get it. Or the others <laughs> will get it. And you said, this yeah. is going to be a good yeah. night along the way. So, yeah, it affected. No, I, I um. I, I wouldn't have a didactic purpose, but I mm-hmm. suppose certain things come out. For example, I, I did write a novel about two, just back in 2005, 2006, about two young children, a novel for young people, um, leaving Africa and coming to Europe, a Gluachacht movement. And they leave a, a, a war area and um, they cross the desert. And I, I was in the desert at some stage because I know about no bit about it. And they come mm-hmm. and they, they come and they, they come to Europe. It doesn't say Ireland, it could be anywhere in Europe, but mm-hmm. we know where it is. And this was before the Mediterranean became a lake of death in some ways. I mean, it was yeah, the beginning yeah. of it. So I was kind of, I would like to say I was kind of ahead of the posse about that. Now, I don't want to write about that. You could write about it again today because it's as relevant now as mm-hmm. it ever was. But I've, I've done that. I've written I've written about two young children escaping from Africa, coming in desperation to Europe. So, you know, that's, you do think, I've written a story about a dog as well, a dog um, <laughs> gets thrown out um, of, of his pair, of, of his owner's uh, car and he doesn't know why he's thrown out. It turns no. out... It, in the end, that he's bitten one of the younger children, but he doesn't realise it until, right. until later, yeah. later in the book. So, and the poor old dog is kind of wandering the streets along the way. And uh, so, so I, with all that, it's all kinds of different, different sort of things. And I'd, I'd like to kind of continue doing that because I like to think I have lots of stuff in the bottom, back of left my head. Left to myself. So, um, you know, and, and but, you know, it wouldn't be published unless somebody, somebody wrote, somebody liked it. And some of mm-hmm. them have, gone down well others maybe not so well some of them like the, the diverse novel on Goody Glover is very difficult a novel in Africa which is very difficult because I was writing about the jungle and it kind of clogged it up with all kinds of jungle language and I could hardly read it myself now because, you know, that was, that's what I was that was what I was trying to do and others are, are very simple and straightforward so you also match the style to what you're trying to do you know you try to do more yeah. along the ways along the way so um yeah. Yeah, I like to, I, I try to write um, a, a short play for children at the moment. So I never talk about what I'm trying, kind of doing and another story about another young boy. And I don't know, it, you just, they, they keep coming to us. I said, when I wrote that book with 100 stories, the stories just kept coming to me. Right. When I oh, finished yeah. 100 stories, mm-hmm. that was it. They, they stopped. I and think I once, it, once he opened that conduit, I think it never That's really right. closed. I didn't, another, I didn't write another short yeah. story for yeah. twenty years. You know That's that was amazing. it. They just stopped, stopped yeah. writing short stories. But they, but maybe after a hundred, that was that was enough. That was and enough. Uh, then <laughs> then they started coming to you. So yeah. you know, I I don't know, and I I think the great thing is as well is like reading is is an adventure. You open mm, a new absolutely. book, yeah, and you where is this going? I've no you could idea. go anywhere, yeah, go anywhere. Yeah. 
but yeah. writing it is the same, you know. Now, normally, yeah. writing books, you'll have, a, you'll have a shape. You kind of, you know, you kind of know in general, this is what I want to do. But you don't have it. I don't write it out, you know, bit by bit by bit. You know, it's just mm-hmm. kind of, yes, that happens, that happens. And I, I know where I'm going. But how exactly I'm going to get there, I don't know. Although it did happen once. I did write a, a kind of a, a detective novel, a kind of a private eye thing. Um, and it came to me totally unbidden one night in bed. I was lying down, going to sleep, and suddenly, the whole lot <laughs> just came bang, one after the other. So all I had to do was write it, you know? Which is a hard bit, but, yeah. hard bit. But so yeah, so they're all they're all different, you know. So, so and sometimes you struggle, sometimes you 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 struggle with the plot or the story, and sometimes it's sitting there waiting for you along the way. So you know along the way. So Brilliant. but but if you didn't enjoy it, there's no point. And if you didn't, exactly. some people enjoyed it either, you know. So that was it. Well, all I can well, say is you're an inspiration. I mean, listening to you talk, I mean, all, all the different genres you've written and all the different challenges that you've risen to, and you know, you've challenged yourself and you've you've come out, you've acquitted yourself well. I think in every everything that you've ever tried to do. So, Alan, you're you're amazing to listen to. Um, and I, you've answered the question. My other question. Okay, go on, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, we're, no we're, we was, can't was, wait for what's coming next for you. Well, it was going to yeah. be what's coming next for you, but you've, you've answered that already. Just, already, you've, you've, you've short stories coming from Clara Connacht, and uh, you're trying to write your play for young people. So, I mean, that sounds amazing, and you're continuing to challenge yourself and conti- continuing to create. And I mean, like, if ever there was uh, an inspirational person, uh, it's yourself. You know, that's that's brilliant. And I'm looking back over the notes I've made as we were talking, and all the the, the breadth and the depth of the stuff that you've mentioned is is amazing. You know, so obviously you're a person who. You're a great guest to have on the podcast because you're definitely a person who's uh, immersed in stories and have has always been. And you're you've gone on then to create so many brilliant stories of your own uh, in various different formats and, and in different various different media. Um, and and you're a, a national treasure, I think, is the right <laughs> word. Um, I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed this event. You're enjoying this event. Look, you're very, you're very kind, both of you, and I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you. And really enjoyed doing the it's whole been, lot. And, it's been know, wonderful, and thank you and just, for coming on. I mean, thanks for, so much for for I giving hope, us your I hope time. I'll help to you know? sell sell some copies of Untoyne. Not to mention Untoyne. Buy Untoyne. Come on, yeah. guys. It's genuinely a fantastic, a fantastic. Um, as well as being a fantastically written book, it's a beautiful looking book. It's gorgeous. As well. I mean, the art is gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it really is a lovely. It's a lovely gift to give. I think even to you know teenagers would really enjoy it it definitely has that that graphic novel sense and i really think it's it's a great um you know i would have loved it myself as, as a younger person Me too. and i think it would be a fantastic introduction to to the great irish battle epic the thorn if you have never uh, come across any stories of cuchulain or, or maven a little before um but because unfortunately time is our enemy we we need to wrap up the the, the podcast episode uh much as i i always like to say this to guests we would love to talk to you forever and i think we probably could talk to you forever because you're a right man no, <laughs> you're, you're i'd be fantastic. repeating myself i'm sure along the way not at all not at all but um just to say thanks to the listeners for for still for sticking around and being with us here to the end i hope you've enjoyed this episode um because certainly susan and i have um and if you could take two seconds of your time to give us a quick rating or review or even share the episode with anybody you think might enjoy it we would be certainly grateful um and the only other thing to say now is a great uh big to alan titley thank you very much uh, for for all of that <laughs> and good luck with everything and with all the great work you're doing oh, oh thank, thank you so you. much thank you very much um so august slong foil from myself and slong from Slán from me. Thanks very much. You were very good. That's good. And good good luck. You've been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at Story Shaped Pod. And don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts.